0: I, I think that memories with food, some people might remember like the huge banquets. For me, it's usually, as an only child, it's usually like the small memories that I have with my, with my parents or my family. And one of the memories is Saturdays when my parents were not feeling like cooking, we would go to the chifa. And I would have this gigantic fried rice <laughs> with all types of food, uh, with all types of chicken, beef, shrimp. It's because we went to this public market, and there was a chef just across from.
1: I'm your host Dee Dee Madigan, and you're listening to Home Plates. Be sure to catch up on season two, and if you haven't yet listen to season one we are on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. On this week's podcast I'm joined by Jesus who is going to talk all about Peruvian food. We discuss Chinese food in Peru which I did not know was a thing and we also talk about ceviche and also football or as we Americans like to call it soccer. Stay tuned you're listening to Home Place. Here with me today in the studio is Jesus. You have a very long last name or you have many names so I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us where you're
0: from. Perfect. Thank you so much for hosting me the podcast today. My name is long as you said. It's because it's Jesus is the first name. Juan Pablo is the middle name. Hidalgo is my father's last name and Campos is my mother's last name which is something very common in the, especially in the Latin American context and also in Spain. I am from Peru. Uh, I have been living in the US for eight years. At this point, I was living in North Carolina before coming here, and now I'm finishing my PhD in the Spanish and Portuguese department.
1: One of the things I like to ask since you came here to the States, do you remember the first meal you had when you came to the US?
0: Yes, I have a picture. Some common friends in Peru had a friend in this small town in North Carolina, Durham, where Duke University is. I was starting my PhD there, and I contacted this person, and she actually picked me up from the airport, and she took me to lunch because I arrived around 2 p.m., and we went to this graduate student bar (laughs) that was very nice, and have this picture with my very first burger in the U.S. They had garlic fries. Mm. Which is not common in Peru, but here it's like, okay, this is different and I really like it. Yeah, they're good. In Peru, we don't have too much of a beer culture in the sense of diversity. We drink lots of beer, (laughs) but it's either Pilsner or lager. There is okay. not like IPA, brown ale, dark ale. Yeah,
1: Seattle takes its beer very seriously, as do many other <laughs> cities in the U.S. <laughs>
0: exactly. So I knew about Guinness because I sometimes <laughs> I follow British soccer games yeah. and they have advertisements for Guinness. So I ordered a Guinness because mm-hmm. it was like, OK, I, I need to have this. Did you like it? Yeah, yeah yeah I, I could like it. it uh, my grandmother used to drink dark beers mm-hmm. in Peru, and my parents hated it, <laughs> but it was her favorite type of beer. So when I grew up, from time to time she wouldn't share a little bit of it. <laughs> with me.
1: Okay, so let's dive into Peruvian food. I was telling you earlier, really, I like don't know anything of how Peruvian food is like distinctly different. Than other Latin American foods. So hopefully you can clear some of that up today. Um, when I was researching Peruvian food, the national dish it said, and like the dish that like Peruvians are most known for, you probably know what I'm gonna say, ceviche. So yeah, why don't we talk about that and why that is so popular in Peru and what it is?
0: That's that's an interesting topic because for us, ceviche is national pride. Like you said, it everywhere on Wikipedia and Google you'll find national dish ceviche. Basically, it's marinated fish. We use flounder if we want to have like a nice lunch, or just a cheap fish. We let it marinate for a couple of hours in key lime juice. Then we add boiled sweet potatoes, corn, if it's from the northern part of the coast of Peru, you would add a specific beans that grow there, and a specific type of chili pepper That is called ají. So it's actually a spicy food. It's very fresh. I am from Lima, from the capital, and for us, for example, the fish needs to be fresh. So it's lunch. It's a a dish for lunch. You would get the fish in the morning, let it marinate, and then eat it for lunch. So one way we distinguish real people from Lima and tourists is that tourists would eat ceviche in the evenings. Uh, And for us, it's not uncommon, but it's like, okay, the ceviche is not fresh enough. (laughs) Which is interesting because, for example, I was reading some Mexican ceviche recipes. And what I read is that, at least for most of the recipes, you let the fish marinate one night before. So that wouldn't work in Peru. Uh, And it's interesting because, depending on the country, you'll have variations that, for us, would be horrifying. (laughs) But for the local country, it would work. For example, I was reading that in Ecuador, ceviche, instead of using key lime juice, you would use orange juice. You would add ketchup. Uh, And that would be, like I said, like, no, this is not ceviche. But it works in Ecuador. Uh, And in Mexico, you would add Tabasco. You would add tomato. uh, You would add tomato. You would add avocado. And again, that would be like, no, no (laughs) tomato, no avocado. As a matter of fact, I have a funny short story with, with some friends. We were celebrating the birthday of one of them, and it was a big group. And she said, well, it's my birthday, so I think I have the right to eat the tomato of the ceviche. And we were so focused that we didn't realize like, there is no tomato in Peruvian ceviche. Mm-hmm. And when we realized that she was about to eat a very spicy red hot chili pepper, it was too late. She had already put it in her mouth. She needed, like, spoons of sugar, milk, and this, this sense of, like, oh, this is too hot and spicy for me lasted for the whole day. Uh, it was a terrible birthday for her. <laughs> but, for example, it shows that that would have happened in Mexico and it would have been normal. Yeah, of course, eat the tomatoes. <laughs> eat the tomato. There is no problem In Peru, that doesn't work.
1: So is the idea of fresh ceviche like you catch the fish in the morning then, and then you let it marinate immediately, and then you eat it basically as soon as it's done marinating.
0: Exactly, exactly. So the Lima is just facing the, the ocean basically, and we have a port. Fishermen would go to the sea, get the, get the fish very early in the morning. It would be in the markets, let's say by 9 a.m. So for example, with my mom on a Saturday, I would go to the market, to the public market. It's, it's a smaller version of Pike Place, so that people have an idea. You would get the fish, go home, let it marinate for a couple of hours, also because it needs onions and it needs other stuff. So while you do the other stuff, you let the fish marinate. One of the misconceptions about this dish is that it's raw fish. However, because of the marinated process, the, co- the, the fish actually gets cooked. Not boiled, not stir fried. But it's cooked, it's it's not, it looks like raw fish, but it's already processed to to be eaten. So it's not exactly raw fish.
1: Now I was reading about, I don't know if this is actually popular or not, but like what some Peruvians do, I was reading was that they drink like the juices that the fish was marinated in. And it's called like tiger's milk or something. Yes. And that struck me as interesting.
0: To be fair, I'm not really sure why it's called tiger milk, <laughs> but it's, it's very famous. Uh, basically, the fish will be marinated in this sort of soup. There's lots of key lime juice, and uh, that's another particular aspect of this plate. You don't have, like, the bottles with key lime juice, and you just pour it. You actually need this small green key lime juice, cut them and squeeze, squeeze them to get the juice. So, yes... Uh, you have all this juice, you would eat the fish, and, and that juice, you would drink it. It can be at separate dish, like, for example, with what my grandfather used to do is use a blender with some slices of the marinated fish, then or with all the concentration of this fish added to the kilam juice. It, it was already marinated with these hot spicy ajíes with the, with the chili peppers in Peru. And it, it would be like a thick soup. We, we usually eat it during the weekends because, again, you need some time to, to, to marinate the fish. People have it as drunk food. <laughs> like for example, if you go to a party on Saturday and then the day after, you would have ceviche, has to wake up. <laughs> it's a terrible idea though. So that even the state at some point said like you shouldn't do this. Oh okay. Because your stomach is already irritated <laughs> by all the beer that you drank. Mm-hmm. So if you're adding hot chili peppers, key lime juice, even though you feel that it's refreshing, it's actually not doing something good for you for yourself. <laughs> so we're trying to change that food habit. I Many see. people still do it. Yeah, it, it's a sort of food, uh, drunk food that people would drink from time to time. Okay, but it's not
1: good for you, drunk food. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> you should just enjoy it for lunch. Uh, enjoy the flavor, enjoy the preparation, but not really good for your stomach.
1: Have you been able to find anywhere in the U.S., I guess, Doesn't it sounds like you were in North Carolina for a bit, that has good ceviche.
0: My wife says that I'm a ceviche snob. (laughs) Uh, mm, I haven't, to be fair. I I have seen many Mexican restaurants that do the Mexican variation. I think that because the way I was raised, I'm not that open-minded. I have to admit I'm not that open-minded with ceviche. (laughs) And when I go to Peru, I try to eat it there. I I would love to try it here. I think we were joking with my wife the other day that there's a recipe with mango. And again, for me, like I cannot even see that. <laughs> but I'll definitely give it a shot one of these days. Uh, I'm very curious to see like the, the flavor. The only time that I actually tried was a homemade ceviche uh, that a professor was hosting a sort of final class get-together at her place. She heard about my ceviche preferences and said, like, oh, I can't make the Peruvian variation. I'm going to... Do what I know, and actually now that I think, I tried what is called mushroom ceviche. Mm. So instead of fish, you would marinate the mushrooms. Uh, a dear friend of mine from North Carolina had lived in Peru for many years, but she cannot eat fish, mm. and I think she was in the vegetarian period, in <laughs> and she actually made mushroom ceviche, and it was really good. I have, oh. to, I have to admit that it was really good, not what I. Expected, it, but uh, I, I enjoy it.
1: An acceptable substitute if you're vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's, when my wife and I go to Peru, sometimes she finds it hard to eat because she's vegetarian. Mm. And that's another aspect of Peruvian food. It's very meat-heavy food. Even if you have fried rice, it's either with chicken or beef or shrimp. So for example, when I cook Peruvian food at home, I'll try to make it vegetarian for her, Mm. either with tofu or mushrooms or just no meat, Uh, but yeah, it's either fish or very heavy meat that is added to stuff.
1: Speaking of meat, there are a couple of meat dishes that I looked up that are very popular. And one of them we talked a little bit about earlier beforehand, which is guinea pig.
0: It's an interesting thing because it's almost like Peru Machu Picchu, what they eat is guinea pigs. It, I would say it's a popular dish. And I don't want to cross out our audience, but it's basically a grilled guinea pig. And the reason people, especially in the mountains, eat guinea pigs is because they are small, but they are like small rabbits. There are a lot of them. It's easy to feed them. So if you have a farm, you will have many guinea pigs and, and you can use them for food. But yeah, people eat them. Uh, I don't eat them anymore, since I have them as pets. My mother eats them from time to time, because if you go to a touristic restaurant, it's one of the things that Mm. that you could get. She sends me pictures (laughs) of the guinea pigs, so I skip the WhatsApp messages with (laughs) with grill guinea pigs. My dad is a little bit more like, okay, you had guinea pigs. I know that that you like them. I understand Uh, that there's a place in your
1: heart for them. So
0: I I won't eat them. But I I would say, going back to the question, it's because it's available. Mm -hmm. So for example, I don't know, in in different parts of the world, people eat crickets. And for some people, it might be strange. Like, why would you eat crickets? Mm -hmm. At the same time, well, it's the food that is available. And it's cheap. And you have many different ways to prepare it. What happens in Peru is that eventually it's basically real in a pig that we do.
1: Let's see. There's another one that I saw that was popular. It was, like, as street food was, like, beef heart. So I was reading that, like, the story behind that was it was suspected that, like, uh, Spanish conquistadors, uh, when they ate beef, they threw out, like, all the organs and stuff. And being resourceful, like, you know, the locals took the organs and, of course, ate them. And now it's still a popular street food.
0: Uh, yeah, this, they are called anticuchos. And basically, they you have like this stick and then you have slices of heart that are grilled and spiced and then you eat them. It's interesting because the idea of a melting pot applies perfectly for Peru. So we have the local population that was in the mountains and, like I was saying, uh, the guinea pig is very particular from the mountains. We have a population in the jungle with the border with Brazil. There is a specific food for them that is very particular. Uh, I was telling uh, you about ceviche, which is basically a food that we eat, especially in the, on the coast. And anticuchos, it shows the African descendant, mm. the African heritage that Peru has because mm, it's typically the food mm-hmm. at least this is the story that is told for us is is the food as you were saying the the conquistadores the Spanish the, the Spanish conquistadores would eat parts of the cow but they would leave like the bowels and the heart and it would be the the black slaves mm-hmm. who would get all these and grill them now it's not as popular as before when i was a kid it was very popular that you would find these street vendors with anticuchos. Now you would need to go to specific areas in Lima where you know you'll find this. But you can also Mm -hmm. find it in restaurants. Cheap food, it's very spicy, and you recognize also the smell from some blocks away. Like, okay, this this must be the anticucho, you want to call it. The interesting thing with Peru is that we also have our own soda, And it's called Inca-Cola.
1: Ah, I was reading about this.
0: You either hate it or you either love it. (laughs) And the reason is it tastes like bubblegum. If you go around and ask people what is the taste, they would say it's bubblegum. It's very yellow. The brand was so popular in Peru that Coca-Cola had to buy it because it was more popular than (laughs) Coca-Cola at some point. And to advertise it both in Coca-Cola and when it was all by Coca-Cola they had all these ads on TV saying oh do you like uh, fried rice it goes perfectly with Coca-Cola do you like rotisserie chicken which is another national dish for us then you should have it with Coca-Cola <laughs> do you like ceviche it goes perfectly with Coca-Cola so th- the advertisement was so strong that now in our imaginary sort of food culture you cannot eat this with Coke. Guinea pig, if you're eating it, it would be with Inca Cola. Ceviche, if you're eating it, it would be with Inca Cola. With, <laughs> with beer, if you are with friends, but Inca Cola mm-hmm. if you're a kid. And I think it's because it's it's a good balance between a very sweet thing and a very spicy dish. Mm-hmm. So because Peru uses lots of red hot chili peppers, yellow chili peppers, it's actually very spicy. So If you balance somehow in a very interesting way the very sweet with the very spicy food actually accu- work somehow or at least that's what tv <laughs> has told us and we believe it <laughs> there is actually a peruvian restaurant here oh yeah in seattle it's in aurora okay I think it's like 150th it's called los pollos hermanos the chicken brothers yeah <laughs> And it's interesting because they, they are both food store and a restaurant. So you would have Peruvian food and some Mexican dishes because it's a Peruvian-Mexican place. But you also have the store where you can find Inca-Cola and the spices Ooh. and all that.
1: Okay. I kind of want to try that now. Is the restaurant good?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we went yesterday. Oh, okay. For the, for the very first time, because I was telling my wife, like, oh, there's this interview, and it would be very <laughs> embarrassing to say like, I'm from Peru, but I never tried the Peruvian restaurant here in <laughs> We were once with some friends, but just for the the audience, it's closed on Mondays. Yeah, yeah. I usually have a play uh, a dish that is called Seco de Res, and it's basically rice, beans, and sort of beef stew that. Some people add some cilantro uh, to make it. Uh, It was really good. It was actually really good.
1: Cool. Thank you for the restaurant recommendation. You talked a little bit about this, all the influences on Peruvian food, and one of the things I found super interesting was because there are so many different influences. One of the influences was like Chinese food, and that there's even sort of like a certain like name for it, Chifa. And can you talk about that like cuisine? I guess
0: couple of centuries ago like it would be 18th 19th century there was a, a huge migration wave especially from china to work on rice plantations and the, the especially chinese population in Peru started growing and growing and now we have a sort of peruvian chinese fusion and like you were saying the name is chifa uh, you would go to the chifa is actually the restaurant and the food is also called chifa and i have asian students before in my classes and i asked them like well we have this name that we assume comes from mandarin or cantonese is it true because that for us that's the myth like oh you know in china she means either to eat or is the abstract mm. idea to eat so it makes sense that chifa would be the place where you eat and according to my students at least a couple of them said like, yeah, it's not exactly <laughs> what you're describing, but it has it's something related to food, so it makes sense that it's called chifa. The better the best way to put it is it's something between Panda Express. <laughs> so for example, the fried rice is very common and it's very cheap. And then you would add heavy meat flavors that I was talking about. So for example, you have chicken you either kind you can have beef shrimp if you are feeling like you want a lot of this you can have a sort of combo the noodles the chinese noodles are also part of it so for example you can have what we call the combinado the combo and it's basically half fried rice half noodles and we have our own chinatown in lima oh wow and we have even a sort of Chinese arc to welcome people yeah. to, to the area. It's part of the culture. It, it's, it's there. I, I think that memories with food. some people might remember like the huge banquets. For me, it's usually, as an only child, it's usually like the small memories that I have with my, with my parents or my family. And one of the memories is, Saturdays when my parents were not feeling like cooking, we would go to the chifa. And I would have this gigantic fried rice <laughs> with all types of food, uh, with all types of chicken, beef, shrimp. It's because we went to this public market and there was a chifa just across from it. So it was very convenient to do both the grocery shopping for the week and then go and eat with the chifa.
1: That's so interesting. I like had no idea that like Peru and like Lima, I guess, had such a big enough Chinese population that they... like influence the like a type of food there. I think you mentioned that you cook some Peruvian food. You want to talk about uh, some of the dishes that you cook and maybe a, a dish that you think would be if someone wanted to try to cook a Peruvian dish, one that they might try to cook.
0: Yeah, I actually brought a recipe. I have cooked this dish. It's very simple. Okay. Uh, but you can say I cook Peruvian dishes. <laughs> uh, but also it, it shows a cultural difference between the U.S. and Peru. Here in the U.S., you would either eat rice or potatoes. Mm. You wouldn't combine them. That would be like too much carbs. But in Peru, it's very normal to combine. Like I was saying yesterday, I had beans and rice. And this, play, this uh, dish is called lomo saltado. And it's basically sauteed beef. Uh, you If you cook, you can do it properly. But also if you feel like, no, nah, I just don't cook, but I want to try it. You can also get, for example, uh, frozen rice mm. and you would just put it in the microwave. So check. <laughs> check. <laughs> if you want, you can cook white rice. Uh, it also has French fries. So again, if you feel like, oh, frying the russet potatoes would be exciting, <laughs> and I feel an accomplishment, can burned, <laughs> you can do it. But if not, you can also buy the pre-made fries and put it in the oven or the microwave. So second check. Uh, and basically what people do is you have onions, that you, ha- uh, you have one red onion that you would cut in thin slices. You would have more or less one red, a, to- a normal tomato, one per person, more or less. And again, you cut it in slices. You fry them. You would add salt, pepper, some coming. One it starts like, to get this brownish color, you would add the soy sauce, because it mm. has soy sauce. It, it's, it's a Peruvian Asian food. In a different pan, you would fry beef. And just don't, don't burn it, <laughs> basically. Make it a little bit brown. And when it starts getting brown, put it with the onions and the tomatoes. The the meat should start, like, soaking all the flavor that you had from before. And then you just put the rice, put the fries, and put this sort of sauce that you have made with the beef, the onions, the tomatoes, on top of the fries, so the fries also soak a little bit of it. If you want to decorate the dish, you would have some cilantro leaves or parsley leaves around. But the good thing is, if we have vegetarians among listeners, (laughs) you don't need the beef. You can actually do it with mushrooms, and that's how I cook it when I am cooking for my wife. Just fry mushrooms and then add it to the onions and the tomatoes, and then you have Peruvian vegetarian (laughs) dish.
1: (laughs) That sounds really good. And like, as you said, it seems very simple enough that you can go all out if you want or do it the simple way. I think I'm going to have to try that because that sounds really good. I didn't know this, but I was reading that quinoa is, like, native to Peru, and so are, like, potatoes and tomatoes. Like, there's a lot of food that's, like, native to Peru. I had no idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. One thing that I didn't know until very recently is that jer, the jerk jerky comes from a word in a native language in Peru. Because what happens is called is charqui, and it's basically dry alpaca or llama meat. So, If you are having like jerky, beef, that word jerky comes from the Peruvian native language. Quinoa is from Peru. We export a lot. When I go to Peru, my mom has all these bags with spices, but also quinoa and chia and all this stuff. My wife calls me a a spice hoarder (laughs) because I have many Peruvian spices, (laughs) but also my mom gives us a lot of quinoa and chia, like I was saying. We have the myth myth that we have one type of potato per day, so we have (laughs) around 365 (laughs) types of potatoes. We have a lot. I would say at least that we know 200 types of potatoes. The myth is that we have reached 4,000 because (laughs) some of them haven't been described by Mm -hmm. scientists. Realistically, I would say at least 200. There is a type of potato that Fits very well with the dish that I was describing with lomo saltado. There is a the, there is a type of potato that fits for other plates and other dishes. Uh, so it changes depending on what type of potato you can also cook a type of dish.
1: Yeah, I had no idea so many of these like staple foods like came from Peru. I know like quinoa has become very popular here with the whole health food craze and stuff. So. I-
0: I think that if the PhD doesn't work, I'll start exporting and importing quinoa <laughs> and i have my black market.
1: So another thing I wanted to talk about, which is not really food related, but I feel like we should, is football. I was like wondering if you could just like kind of describe that culture. Like, do you, are you a soccer fan, first of all?
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah, so perfect. When I moved here, I was very happy that Seattle has a professional soccer team. Because where I was living in North Carolina, there was no professional soccer. Basically, the Carolina Railhawks, I think, you would need a car to drive to the stadium. And they were second or even third division. They were good, but it's not the same as the uh, the, the vibe that one has when one goes to, to CenturyLink Field. I love soccer. One of the very first memories that I have is going to the stadium with my dad. Probably I was two years old. And I have very vague memories, but I remember seeing a soccer field. My dad and I support a club in Peru that is very traditional, but it has some peaks and some downs, some peaks and some downs. They were in second division until last year, and they came back to first division this year. So that was huge Exciting! <laughs> it's a very interesting team because it's also from the port area. So to a certain degree, it's kind of, Seattle Sounders equivalent. Mm. They both of them have a rich history. So both of them have very passionate fans. But they are not the most successful teams in the league. Although they have, like I said, a very rich history. Our jerseys are pink. <laughs> so coming from unfortunately coming from a, a country that is very sexist, that was a sort of mocking point as mm. I grew up. Like, oh yeah, the pink jersey right now not as much i i think peruvian culture is changing a little bit not that much but yeah from time to time i asked my dad if he can buy me a jersey and <laughs> when i go to peru i get the jersey <laughs> i belong to a generation that hadn't seen peru in a world cup but we are very excited because this year we're going to the world cup the last time that w- peru went to a tournament like this was eight, 1982 and I was born in 1985. And we had given up because the team was not really good. We have very skillful players, but they lack of discipline a lot. But the current coach started telling like, okay, you are really good. If you are disciplined to the team, we can make huge things. Every time that Peru plays, I see all these selfies on Facebook and Instagram. My friends go. It's actually very exciting. Besides that, I think that I'm more a Barcelona supporter. It didn't work out well for my dad, because he's Mm. a Real Madrid supporter, (laughs) which is like the the enemy in Spain. And I remember this very well. I was a kid. And he said, oh, let's watch a Barcelona-Real Madrid game (laughs) on the TV, and you'll see why I support Real Madrid. (laughs) And Barcelona won 5-0. So from that moment on, I started following Barcelona. And for example, for my birthday, my self gift is always a uh, Barcelona jersey.
1: So I've decided that it might be fun with my guests for it's a new sort of thing I'm gonna to try to try out. I'm doing a little trivia with my guests. Sure. I've found some interesting facts about Peru. I'm gonna see if you know them or not. That's we'll really st- interesting. <laughs> yeah. I have my cheat sheet right here because I don't remember. How many, we'll start off easy. How many regions does Peru have?
0: regions in sense of geography? Um
1: this is a good question. I'm I would say know. three.
0: Okay. The way that we distinguish is coast, mountains, and jungle. Now, in terms of more specifically what I remember from school, <laughs> it would be like eight. Okay. Uh but it's it's depending on the altitude. Oh, okay so for example there is the lower coast, but there is coast that is a little bit higher And the mountains are not just mountains. There are different types of mountains and depending on the altitude. And for example, normally I would say jungle, but there are two types of jungle, like the high jungle and the lower land in the jungle. So it's either three or eight.
1: Okay. Wait, do you guys have states?
0: Oh, okay. So the states, it's very confusing. Okay.
1: Maybe this was not the best question then. It was not as easy as I thought it would.
0: (laughs) What happens is, technically, we have states, uh, we call them provinces, Uh provincias, but we also have departments.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So, it's something like 12 departments Mm -hmm. and 24, 25 provinces, and we also have the the port. It's not exactly a province, although it's a (laughs) province, like independent (laughs) province, because Uh it's it's next to Lima, but it doesn't depend on Lima. It has its, its own regional... It's on regional polit- uh, politics.
1: Okay. So I think I was looking for provinces, and yes, it was 25 according to the website that I found. So it's, so you, it's, you, you nailed that one, I think. You gave a lot more information than what I asked for because the question was framed. It's badly. very
0: confusing. It's <laughs> actually very confusing, but yeah.
1: Okay, so I found a website for a rough estimate of how many guinea pigs are eaten a year in Peru. I don't know how recent this is, but it's definitely from, like, 2000s. Okay. What is your guess for how many guinea pigs are eaten in a year in Peru?
0: My estimate would be one million.
1: Okay, what I found was it said sixty-five million guinea pigs. Sixty-five. Fakes. That's insane.
0: <laughs> that is actually insane.
1: But... I guess they're like kind of small, so like it would that, make that sense makes, if you're gonna have it, sense. you'll have multiple. That makes sense. But also, <laughs> uh,
0: I remember my dad used to tell me a story that when he was visiting one of the cities, somebody said like, "Okay, you are going to have rabbit for lunch, mm-hmm. and you have to choose the rabbit." And my dad said, there is no way I'm going to choose a rabbit. If if I see the rabbit in person, I won't be able to choose it. But it's a region that calls guinea pigs rabbits.
1: Uh, So when he
0: saw that it was just guinea pigs, he said, I don't mind, just choose one.
1: (laughs) According to the website I found, Peru is home to uh, the oldest university in all of the Americas. What year was it founded?
0: That's an interesting question. So what happens is it's, a, it's called San Marcos. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the most important public university in Peru. But I went to the private university that is a huge rival oh, of San Marcos. Funny. I went to, it's called Pontificia Universidad Católica. It's basically a Catholic university, but it's not the super Catholic. It's more like it received the Catholic name. Let me see. I would say, and it was something like a very important anniversary of <laughs> the of the public university recently. I would say it is fifteen
1: sixty five. Oh, you're very close. Fifteen fifty one. Wow. So close though. That was that was imp- that was impressive. How close? My last one is a soccer question. Mm-hmm. According to the website that I've used for all my trivia, in 1964, the world's worst soccer riot occurred, killing 300 fans and then 500 were injured. What team did the Peruvian national team play in this match?
0: It was Argentina.
1: Yes, that is correct.
0: <laughs> Argentina. And it's... Either the worst tragedy or one of the worst tragedies, uh, and I was a little bit cheating because my dissertation is about soccer, <laughs> so th- I know this episode very well. Okay, and it was actually a very, very sad story. The it was uh, sort of qualifying for a tournament. The already the social environment was very violent in that period in Peru. The referee made terrible decisions during the game, mm. so Peru scored a goal, the referee disallowed the goal, so there was a person who basically invaded the field and started attacking the referee. So the police officers tried to catch him and take him out of the field, but other people started invading the field. At some point, it was, like you said, very well, it was a riot, and somebody had the, quote-unquote, great idea to start throwing bombs, like the the ones that make you uh, cry, to the public. Because somebody said, well, do we have to stop this? Uh, And people started leaving the stadium, and somebody closed the exits. And so at some point, there were lots of people who were basically pushed towards the exit and died, suffocated, Mm -hmm. because they couldn't leave. And at some point, the pressure was so much that the the exits collapsed. But it had already been a tragedy. But yeah, it, it's it's an interesting. It, it shows like the passion Peruvians and in general Latin Americans have for the game. Uh, but yeah, I I my my father tells me some stories about it, and there are some books about it.
1: Well. Let's not end on such a sad, tragic oh, no. note because no, no, no. our time is almost up, but uh I like to end each episode with a favorite food memory. You did mention the one about going to the chief of restaurant, but do you have any other food memory that really stands out to you and makes you really happy when you think about it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I am from a very small family. My parents are separate, so I live with my mom, but I would see my dad every day and Lima is very Americanized in the sense that even though it's the beginning of summer for us, we have Santa Claus, we have hot chocolate, uh, we have all the American traditions for Christmas. So of course we have turkey. Turkey would be the, the what you eat for Christmas, but my mom, we, my mom and I lived on the second floor and the first floor was from my grandmother and then my dad would come for Christmas. And, of course, a turkey was too much for us. We (laughs) we tried once, and we had leftovers of turkey for almost one week. (laughs) started hating turkey until one of us had the great idea of, instead of a turkey, let's just buy rotisserie chicken. Because, like I was saying, rotisserie chicken is one of the national dishes for us. And it worked very well. (laughs) Uh, it, It made lots of sense, and each of us could have a piece of rotisserie chicken, if I was feeling hungry, we usually would buy an extra piece of rotisserie chicken. It's just very simple. It's, like a, it's just a rotisserie chicken you can go to, like I said, Trader Joe's and get a rotisserie <laughs> chicken. Uh, but for me, it has special meanings. Uh, I remember it must have been the first or second time that I was going back to Peru during my PhD, and the plane was arriving at midnight. But I didn't get any food, either I fell asleep or they forgot (laughs) to give me food on the plane. It was a long trip and I was very hungry. So I told my parents, I need a rotisserie chicken. (laughs) And they asked me, but it's midnight. Where are we (laughs) going to get rotisserie chicken at midnight now? And we had to make a detour from the airport to home. We had to find anywhere that would offer rotisserie chicken for me. Of course, they didn't have any. but. But it's something that I, I associate with home. Uh, it's, it's not exactly the rotisserie chicken that we have here. There, the myth is that there is a secret way to put spices. Some people say they add Coke, like <laughs> not cocaine, but Coca-Cola. <laughs> they could add cocaine because it's very addictive. <laughs> but no, they, some say that they add Coca-Cola or some spi- some very particular spices from Peru. And like I was saying, some people might remember huge banquets with their families, but for me, it's it's just these small things, uh, these these small family memories that one has with with food that that stick to me.
1: Thank you so much for being on my show today.
0: Oh, no. Thank you for for the invite. It it was fun to talk about Peru and the food and and soccer, too.
1: (laughs) Yes, of course. Well, thank you so much for listening. And uh, once again, thank you for coming on my show. This has been another episode of Home Plates. Don't forget to subscribe. New episodes are out every Wednesday.
0: The Seattle Seahawks have the best offensive line in NFL history.
1: Kyle Seeger is the better Seeger brother. Markel Foltz is the best player on the Sixers. Hashtag trust the process.
0: Okay, we don't actually believe any of these things, but if you want to hear our thoughts on topics like these, tune into the Boxing Podcast with Chris Ankiko, Alec Dietz,
1: and Andy Amashta every Friday on the Soundbite Network.
0: For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbite's website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.